Hey, good morning again. So I'm Dave, I'm the lead pastor here. It's great seeing you here, especially if you're visiting. If it's your first time here, welcome to Connect. You've actually chosen a great day to come because we're kicking off a brand new series this morning called That's Messed Up. And uh, before I kind of get into that and tell you uh, what that's about and uh, how we're going to unpack that subject, I want you just to think for a second here. In fact, you can even turn to your neighbors here in a second and uh, have a little chat. So I want you to just try and think of some TV shows, okay, that were, um, that, that were kind of based on the premise of a dysfunctional family. Okay, so probably more in the comedy genre than others, but maybe you can think of a TV show that just that family was messed up, okay? Take a second, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to your family if they're here. Give you a couple of seconds here to think about some messed up families on TV. All right, so I thought of a couple. I'm going to throw them up here on the screen in just a second. Maybe you thought of some of these. So um, a more recent TV show, I think, that kind of talked about a crazy family and the mess they found themselves in was Modern Family. Maybe some of you heard of that. Yeah, got some nods there. That was, uh, that's kind of been on recently, may even still be on. Maybe some of you kind of went back a little further in the past. Maybe you thought of this particular family here, married with children. Yeah, yeah, sounds like, yeah, that's the one we chose. So I can remember um, as a kid watching a show from America called Roseanne, and uh, that was a pretty messed up family, if you remember that one. Uh, Talking about dysfunctional families, what about this one? The Waltons. Yeah, they were a mess, weren't they? (laughs) Crazy plowing and staying up late, talking to each other, saying goodnight, all hours of the night, and... (laughs) Okay, so maybe the Waltons weren't a dysfunctional family. Maybe they were a good family. But, uh, but there was a lot, there is a lot of TV shows of crazy families, crazy family situations. Uh, there's one that's been running a very long time. Uh, I wonder if a couple of you mentioned or thought about this one. Check out this video clip. Everyone comfy? <laughs> good. Now, don't touch any of those buttons in front of you for a very important reason, i.e., you are wired into the rest of your family. You have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock... Testing. Why are you? Oh, Homer, not yet. Uh. <laughs> you see, this is what is known as aversion therapy. When someone hurts you emotionally, you will hurt them physically, and gradually you will learn not to hurt each other at all. And won't that be wonderful, Homer? Oh, yes, doctor. Bart, how could you shock your little sister? My finger slipped. Ah, so did mine. Ah, Bart, Lisa, stop that. No, no, no. No, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Oh, oh, if I can... That is not the way to get healthy! About 30 years now, almost 30 years, this family has been showing us uh, just how dysfunctional families can look. And I think many of us probably have looked on, and uh, maybe the reason the show's so popular is because people look on and say, well, at least we're doing better than them. Okay, or maybe you're here this morning going, actually, no, no, we, we outdo the Simpsons. The craziness in our house, we are more messed up than they are. But this morning, we're actually going to start a series looking at a, uh, a family that was even more dysfunctional than the Simpsons. They may be one of the most dysfunctional families that ever lived. And this family wasn't a TV family. This family actually existed. We're actually going to start in this series um, the idea of that's messed up, looking at one particular man whose name was Joseph. 
Okay, we look at a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, this is the Joseph who lived way back. We read about him in Genesis in the Old Testament, not Joseph, the husband of Mary, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Okay, this is the Joseph that uh, lived a long, long time ago. We're going to discover that this guy had a pretty messed up family. And actually, throughout his life, had just, it seems, one mess after another. But God had his hand on Joseph's life. And I'm excited about doing this series. I've actually been looking forward to talk about this guy for a long time because he's one of my favorite uh, people to talk about in the Bible because I just think we can learn so much from the life of Joseph. As you start to study his life, I think there is such a lot that we can learn about situations in our life and how we can face them, how we can get through them um, when we kind of look in the mirror of the life of Joseph, when we look at how he responded and how he behaved. So Joseph, okay, very um, large, large than life character there in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. He actually took up more real estate in the book of Genesis than any other single person. So more than Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham, some big heroes of the faith there that you've probably heard of. And yet the story of Joseph is bigger than any one of theirs. And he actually came from a, a very rich lineage of godly men. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham. Joseph's grandfather was a man by the name of Isaac, and Joseph's father was Jacob. These are great heroes of the Bible. If you're familiar with these names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these were men for, for hundreds, thousands of years were revered as godly, wise men. The people of Israel would have looked back on them as the heroes of the faith, and, and Joseph himself would also become a legend like his, his family. But that was yet to come. He, he, he didn't start off quite as well. In fact, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do something that in literary terms is known as in media res. Now, I didn't know this until earlier this week. I happened to be sat with my nephew, who's about 15 years old, and he just learned about this in his literary class, and we were talking about movies and TV, and he says, you know what that is? That's in, I just forgot what it is now. That's in... Um, uh, media res, thank you. Yes, that's in media res, yeah. So yes, I've only just learned it, I've already forgotten it. So what that means, what in media res means in the middle of the action. So books will do this, TV shows will do this, movies will do this, where the opening scene will actually be a scene near the middle or end of the movie. So your, your show opens, and it's like a cliffhanger or it's something towards the end, and you see this, and then it goes right back to the beginning, and the whole movie or the whole TV show is everything leading up to that scene that you saw at the very opening. So we're going to do that with Joseph now, because over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the life of Joseph, but I want to take you just for a second here this morning to the very end. I want to take you to the very end of Joseph's life, because we're going to discover here when we read this verse that Joseph found himself in a very, uh, very, very important place. He was actually second in charge of all of Egypt. This was about the most influential, powerful position you could be in in that area outside of the Pharaoh himself. So Joseph finds himself in this incredible place of importance. And we're going to read a verse here where we're going to discover that Joseph's brothers are cowering, bowing down before Joseph because they're terrified. They actually think he's going to kill them because of something they did way earlier in his life. And now they're confronted with their brother, realizing that he has the power to have them all killed. So as they're kind of kneeling and bowing, we're, we're jumping to the very end of the story here. 
But it's very important that you see where Joseph ended up because over the next few weeks, we're going to see how he arrived at this place. So Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph's talking to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You intended to harm me, but God, he had another plan. He intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. He said to his brothers, do you, know, do, you, do you not understand? I'm here because this was God's plan all alone. He wanted me to save the lives of many people. And what you did to me, you, you had bad intentions, you were trying to harm me, but God actually took that situation and he used it for good in my life, in my messed up life. He used it for good so that I could be here today. So, now we know where it ends now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning to where this story begins. We're going to see how Joseph had a messed up journey leading up to this point. But we're going to discover over the next few weeks that throughout all of this, if there's one thing we can learn from Joseph, it's this, that you may, you may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your attitude. You may not be able to control the circumstances. You may not have any say over the, the circumstances that you find yourself in, but you can control your attitude. And we're going to learn from Joseph that um, despite the mess that he went through, he chose to have a good attitude through it all. So let's jump back to this, this dysfunctional family and learn a little bit more about it. So Jacob was Joseph's father, okay? Now, Jacob actually had four wives, all right? So um, already that's a little bit kind of out of the ordinary, okay? So Joseph's growing up in this family where he's got brothers, sisters, and, and four mums, okay? So that's, that's kind of weird off the bat, okay? That's, that's creating a little bit of tension there, I'm sure, a little bit of dysfunction. Some of you are like, man, I'm struggling with just one wife. So imagine, you know, four wives, okay? So this is creating probably some, some tension, some drama in the household, but... On top of that, not only is Joseph one of 12 sons, he's actually the eldest of two sons born to Jacob's favorite wife. Yeah. So not only did, Joseph, not only did Jacob have four wives, but out of those four, there was one that he liked the best. So that created some problems, as I'm sure you can imagine. As if it's not bad enough that he's got four wives, he actually likes one of them more than the others. So he's got this wife, who's his favorite, and she's got two sons. One of them, the oldest, his name was Joseph. So Joseph, okay, we're going we're gonna to learn here that we get introduced to Joseph in Genesis 37. He's a 17-year-old boy. His whole life's ahead of him. He's full of hope and promise, and he's just excited about life. Can you remember what it was like when you were 17 years old? I saw a lot of pictures on Facebook last night. Some of you had sons and daughters getting ready for homecoming, and uh, maybe you were kind of looking at your sons thinking, how did they get that old that quick? This is crazy. But, but maybe you remember that time of your life when it was just like, the world's ahead of me. It's so exciting, so much hope, so much potential. I'm, this is just awesome. And then life came along and just slapped you around the side of the head, and now you're 27 or 37 or 47, and, and some of that hope, some of that promise, some of that potential, it feels like it's been drained out of you a little bit, because life will do that. But Joseph's still at that point where he's, he's just beginning, he's excited about the future and what it holds. 
And I believe this morning that, that God wants you to know that your life is still full of promise, still full of potential. God's got great plans for your life. Whether you are 17 or 77 this morning, God hasn't finished with you yet. There's something that God still wants to do in you and something that God wants to do through you. There's a guy in the New Testament, his name was Paul, and he wrote a big part of the New Testament. And he was writing to a group of um, Jesus followers in a city called Ephesus. And at this time, Paul's probably about 60 years old. And, and this verse he writes to them isn't just to them, and it's not just to us. It's even to him at 60 years old. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, when I read this verse, that verse is full of potential and promise and hope for my future. And I think that applies to us today. It, applies to, it applied to Paul when he wrote it at 60 years old. And it applied to Joseph at 70 years, 17 years old. That God has this great plan. These great works prepared for us to do. Created in, in Christ Jesus to do good works. To influence the people around us. To make a difference in the world in which we live. So I think you're going to find this morning that Joseph was very aware of this. Joseph, at 17 years old, with father and great-grandfather and grandfather like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he just knew that the God of heavens, the, the creator of the universe, had this plan for him. But it doesn't mean that he didn't still have some mess to work through. You see, we're going to discover this morning that because of Joseph's family, he had to deal with some, some issues that really weren't even his fault. They were just because of the family he was born into. His dad had, had four wives. His, his dad's favorite wife was his mother. So from the get-go, Joseph's got some issues. And, and, and it's not just that. Let's listen to some descriptions here of Joseph himself. So Joseph 37 verse 2, it says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Yeah. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Basically, Joseph's dad, dad, guess what? I had a situation just recently with one of my own kids. They came up to me. We were out somewhere, and they were like, hey, Dad, my sibling is doing this. And I'm like, okay. Well, Dad, they're, they're doing this. What are you going to do about it? I was like, well, I'll get to it later. And, and it was becoming obvious that um, this particular child of mine wasn't very happy with my parenting at that time. I wasn't really responding as quickly. Like, Dad, come on. Start being a dad here. Deal with this. And they walked away. And, and literally, as they were walking away, they're like, well, just make sure they get in trouble, okay? I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, this was the mission. He went, he, oh, I've given it away there, so let's narrow it down to two-thirds of who it could have been. <laughs> he wants to make sure that his sibling was punished. Now, I'm sure some of you parents deal with this. That doesn't sit well with the siblings, does it? Imagine Joseph being that guy. Imagine how his brothers felt about him when they saw him. Dad, guess what they were doing? It doesn't work well with siblings. Now, that's not the only problem. I think there's a reason why Joseph behaved this way. I think there's a reason why Joseph came back and, and snitched on his siblings like that. Because listen, in Genesis 37, verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him 
in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Yeah, basically, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. So much so that he had this beautiful robe made for him. So quick show of hands. How many of you here have a favorite family member? Yeah? <laughs> okay, point to them now. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. This could cause some... <laughs> I was with my kids this week, and um, we, we were sat at an event, and Will, my son, was talking to me, and he was showing me on my phone. I didn't even know my phone could do this, but he's like, Dad, you can tell Siri that I'm your son. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, just do it. So I said, hey, Siri, Will Jane is my son, and then Will's contact pops up on the screen, and Siri says, would you like me to make Will Jane your son? And I said, yes. <laughs> That's cool. So with Will sat there, I thought, I'm going to try this again. So I said, hey, Siri. She said, what? I said, um, Ben Jane is my favorite son. <laughs> and Siri responded and said, would you like me to make Ben Jane your favorite son? <laughs> and Will hit no. He said no. <laughs> and I told Will, obviously that's not true because Emma's my favorite. So, <laughs> But the truth is, if you're a parent here this morning, if you decide that one of your kids is your favorite, it's going to cause problem with the other kids, isn't it? And it's not going to be very healthy for the one that you've declared as your favorite either. So, so Jacob has, has, has made it very clear that out of all of his sons, Joseph is his favorite. And in doing so, he hasn't just said this, he's given them this wonderful gift. Now, do you know what I learned this week? I never knew this, but as I was studying for this message, I found out that this robe had particular special um, interest to it because it would have been a robe with long sleeves that would have made it impossible for Joseph to do manual work. So basically, in giving him this robe, it was a garment that identified its wearer as a person of special distinction who was not required to do the work of other laborers. So Joseph, basically, in being the owner of this robe, could sit back, kick up his feet, and just watch his brothers do the work. So you imagine how that set Joseph up amongst his siblings. This is the potential for a messed up kid. Then on top of that, Andrew Lloyd Webber writes a musical about his life. So now his brothers must be really mad. They're like, seriously? Now there's a musical about you? <laughs> the truth is that this guy, some of it probably he brought it on himself, but some of it was just the way his parents treated him were causing him to have some, some character issues, some things that God probably needed to work on in his life. And if, as if that wasn't enough, Joseph had these dreams. We read of these dreams that Joseph had, and, and you'd hope that as a 17-year-old boy, he would have kind of maybe kept this to himself. But I think because he was spoiled, because of who he was and the way his dad treated him, he just couldn't wait to tell his brothers and his family the dreams. Guys, guess what? I had these dreams. Really? Tell us, what were they about? Yeah, it's amazing. They weren't your normal kind of weird dreams. You're like, what's that about? I mean, this was like one of those, I think God's talking to me dream. I think God's given me a message about my future dream. Whoa, tell us what it was. Well, it was this. It was these grains of, um, the, the, these bundles of grain, and, and there was 11, 11 of them just like you guys, and they were all bowing down to me. I think God was telling me that one day you're all gonna bow down to me. Huh? Have you seen my coat? <laughs> I mean, how do you think the brothers feel? Then he has a second dream. He goes, in this dream, there were these stars and the sun and the moon as well. 
It's like all my brothers and my mum and my dad, we're all, you're all going to bow down to me. Joseph's telling this dream. He's excited because he feels like God's given him this destiny, this, this purpose. But sadly, his brothers weren't quite as excited about his dreams as he was. In fact, it actually started to create a lot of tension and a lot of jealousy in their lives. You see, when it comes to messed up, Joseph didn't have the greatest start in life. But what we're going to learn this morning, that it doesn't matter how your start was, the family you came from, the mess you feel like you're in this morning, that doesn't mean that God doesn't still have a plan for your life. That God doesn't still want to use you to to, do great things through you, in you and through you. Whether you came from a good family or a bad family. Maybe you grew up in a poor family or a rich family, a loving family or a broken family. Whatever it was like, in one way or another, your upbringing has shaped you to who you are today. Your upbringing has kind of fashioned and shaped you. Some of us are dealing with stuff today, spoiled, anger issues, insecure, arrogance. And a lot of it is because of the way that we were brought up. And if you don't see it in yourself, I think your spouse might. They might be able to let you know, yeah, I can see that. And this was the environment in which Joseph found himself. And yet God still had this wonderful plan for his life. In fact, it's because God loves you so much that he'll allow the struggles and the mess to come your way because he knows he has this amazing plan for your life and he knows the person you need to be to step into that. God knew that one day Joseph would be sat at the side of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, saving many lives, but God also knew that 17-year-old Joseph would not be able to do that. Spoiled little robe wearing Joseph would not be able to be this leader that God was preparing him to be. And as you and I probably know, the, the way that God allows us to be shaped and our character to be developed and, and our, our lives to change isn't always through the, the mountaintops. Most of the time it's in the valleys, isn't it? We go through these tough times, we go through these difficult, we go through these messes that we think, God, why would you let this happen? When we look at Joseph, we realize that maybe it's because God knew where Joseph needed to be. God knew what needed to change in Joseph's life. And through every mess that he went through, God was shaping and molding and developing him into the man that he would one day need to be. So what happened to Joseph? Well, we we know, don't we, that jealousy is a terrible virtue. And because his brothers were so jealous of the attention he was getting from his father, they decided to really take some drastic action. We read in Genesis 37, verse 18, that when Joseph, Joseph was going out at his father's request to visit the brothers, and it says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Wow. It's a pretty messed up family. I mean, this is a family where there's so much dysfunction and favoritism and just that the fathers, that the brothers literally plan a way to kill their brother. This is the kind of mess that Joseph is coming out of. I I hope this kind of encourages you a little bit as you look to your family 
and think, wow, if God can be at work in a, in a dysfunctional family like that, in a dysfunctional beginning to a man's life like that, there's nothing that I can go through. There's nothing that, you know, because I think sometimes we, we maybe even write ourselves off a little bit. We look at our upbringing. We say, well, because I was born like this or because we didn't have much growing up or because this happened to my parents when I was young and we set ourselves lower than where God sees us. We put ourselves in a place where God doesn't see us. And we look back to our heritage or our upbringing or whatever it may be and, and we maybe discount ourselves. But God says, I've got a great plan for your life. Even in the midst of this dysfunction of Joseph's life and his family, I can still take this young man and do in him what I want to do. Fulfill this wonderful promise in his life. So what happens? Do they kill him? We'll find out here in verse 21. It says that when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our ever laying a hand on him. Now Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off this beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty because at this time there was no water in it. So Joseph is probably thinking, what is going on? He's been attacked by his brothers, thrown into this cistern, but un, unbeknownst to Joseph, this actually is better than what was originally going to happen. Fortunately, and I believe God kind of intervened here, and there was a, an ounce of compassion still left in one of the brothers, an ounce of family love, and Reuben says, you know what? We could kill him, like you said, or we could just let him die. Because secretly, he was planning on rescuing Joseph. He couldn't go through with it. He couldn't be part of um, a plan that would end in the death of his brother. So he just has him thrown into this pit. And next week, we're going to talk about what happened to Joseph while he was in that pit. But at this point, Joseph is assuming he's going to die. The brothers are assuming he's going to die. But God still has a plan for Joseph's life. So I just want to kind of make us um, pause and think here because maybe this morning you're in a pit. Maybe there's a situation in your life right now and you kind of feel like you're in the bottom of this pit. You're like, God, how did I end up here? Whatever's going on in your life, maybe something's happening and you feel like you've been kind of left in this desperate situation, this, 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 this bottom of this dark, damp, desperate situation. And you're starting to question, how, how did I end up here? This wasn't my fault. I didn't, I don't know, maybe Joseph was starting to take some responsibility in that pit, realizing, well, maybe the reason my brothers did this is because I kind of was a bit of a jerk. I was a little bit of a spoiled little brother. Maybe he kind of had a little bit of a talking to himself in that moment, learning some of those lessons that God wants him to learn. But I wonder if there was a battle going on in Joseph's life in the bottom of that pit where he was saying, but God, what about the dreams? What about that destiny, that purpose? I really thought the, the stories I heard told about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when I had those dreams, I really thought, God, that you had a similar destiny for me, a similar purpose for my life. But, but here I am in this pit. Did I miss that, God? Did I miss the plan you had for me? You see, I believe that when Joseph was in that pit, he may not have been able to control his circumstances, but he still had control of his attitude. 
If you find yourself in a pit this morning, you may not have much control of how you found your way there, but you can still control your attitude. You can still decide how you're going to respond to this situation that you find yourself in. I think Joseph felt that tension of thinking, I want to still believe that God has purpose for my life, but this pit's kind of making it hard for me to believe that. But I think Joseph, in the bottom of that pit, learned what I think God wants you to learn this morning. That's that no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are never disqualified from living a life of promise. No matter what you've done, what's been done to you, you're never disqualified from living a life of promise. God has great plans for your life. And you may feel like this pit that you find yourself in has disqualified you from what, but God still has a plan. And maybe, just maybe God wants to use this pit as an opportunity for you to learn what he's trying to teach you. I think that's what God was doing in Joseph's life. You see, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know that actually... Him being in the pit was better than it could have been. The original plan was that his brothers were going to kill him. That was the original plan, that death was going to be the outcome of this visit. So so being in a pit was better than death. So Joseph had the choice in that moment to say, I can choose to say this is miserable, or I can choose to believe that actually it could be worse. There could be something worse than being in this pit. Even though it feels bad right now, it actually could be worse than this. And I think we have that same luxury to be able to make that same decision. I read a book back in the summer. Um, it was called My Story by Elizabeth Smart. If you remember this young lady, she was um, just a teenager when she was abducted from a bedroom in uh, Utah by this, this crazy man who uh, used religion to disguise just his, um, his horrible behavior. And uh, for about eight months, this girl was abducted by this man and this woman who was his um, uh, accomplice, was just treated awfully. Some terrible things happened to her physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually. She just, was, just went through a terrible time. The book tells this whole story from her her capture, her times in captivity, right the way through to when she escaped and was reunited with her family. It's an incredible story to read of someone who uh, never gave up hope and and always believed that um, there would be a happy ending to this story. The last chapter of the book is probably the most challenging book because she kind of shares what it is that she's learned through this. One of the things she's learned is that She's made a decision never to give that man another second of her life. She says, he took eight months of my life. He's not going to take another second. That's behind me. I'm choosing to move on and to live my life. I'm not going to live in the past and let that man steal any more from me. But here's something else that really stood out to me when I read the book. She says this. She says, one of my favorite movies is Ever After with Drew Barrymore. For those of you who have not seen it, it's another version of Cinderella. One of my favorite lines from the movie is when the evil stepmother tells Cinderella, we mustn't ever feel sorry for ourselves because no matter how bad things are, they can always get worse. Now, I know that sounds kind of pessimistic, but when I was being held captive, every time I thought that things couldn't get any worse, somehow they always did. So instead of um, looking at the evil stepmother's words as being cold-hearted and mean, I now translate them to say, we always have something to be grateful for because there will always be something that could make your situation worse. And having read this book, I know what this girl went through. To say that, that's an incredible attitude to adopt. 
You can't always control your circumstances, but you can control your attitude. In the midst of this pit situation this girl found herself in, she said, I would always have something to be grateful for because there was always something that could make your situation worse. Joseph, he could have been dead. In fact, that's what was meant to happen. I think God intervened because God had the plan for his life. Wherever you find yourself now, you can choose to say, oh, this is awful. Or you know what? This could be worse. We can think of enough situations around the world, even around our own country, where there are people who are maybe suffering more greatly than we are. So there's always a way of putting this into perspective. Because I think when you can get to that, you can pray that prayer that I wonder if Joseph prayed when he was in the pit. God, I'm here for, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? What is the purpose of this? Why am I in this pit? I think God knew that the Joseph who was 17 years old needed to be, to be changed a little bit to become the Joseph who he was one day gonna be. And God used a pit and some other messed up situations through Joseph's life. But because Joseph submitted himself to God and allowed God to work through his attitude, it changed him to where this 17-year-old boy one day became a man who could stand before his brothers, who threw him into that pit and say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Next week, we're going to find out that Joseph hadn't been forgotten by God. We're going to find out that this actually, this pit experience led to an amazing next chapter of Joseph's life. But this morning, I want you to know that he hasn't forgotten you either. And if you find yourself in a pit this morning, as we look at the life of Joseph, you're going to see that there is there's promise coming still. Let's pray. Father, we can be so inspired as we look at the lives of these amazing men and women throughout the Bible. And just their stories alone, Lord, are so inspirational of your hand at work in their lives. But I believe, Lord, that they are also challenged into us as individuals, that we can learn from them. We can, we can grow. We can see similarities. Even though this happened thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, that there are situations in our life, through our own upbringing, through our own dysfunctional family, through things that are in us that, that are of no fault of our own, Lord. We were just raised this way, but now, Lord, we know that uh, in order to reach the promise and the potential that we could one day have for you, that there are areas of our life that you want to still shape and fashion. And, and sometimes that happens easily, and sometimes it's hard, Lord, because those lessons we only learn in the valleys, not in the mountaintops. So if there's anyone here this morning that seems to be uh, in a pit right now. I pray, Lord, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know that you've not forgotten them, that things could be worse, and that you still have a great plan and purpose and promise for their lives. Pray all of this in Jesus' name.